What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hey, everyone. Kevin checking in to let you know that the episode you're listening to right now is a re-upload of a previously released episode. In the holiday spirit, we thought it would be fun to share our original holiday lore episode for those who might have missed it, along with our second installment of holiday lore. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy. Hey, welcome back to This One's a Doozy. I'm Kevin. And I'm Haley. We talk about stories of mystery, true crime, and folklore of the unusual, unsettling, and oftentimes unsavory goings-on of our world today, yesterday, and long ago. Yes, we do. We back. We're back on a Monday. That's right. That's right. Hopefully you are ready for some uh, Yuletide horror. Yeah. I think, right? Yeah. Yes. 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 Some real. That's why we're coming in hot on a Monday. Real creeps of Yule time past. Yes. Yes. And Yule time present for some of them. Oh, really? Yeah. This is going to be a fun one. This will be fun. Well, before we get ahead of ourselves, we have to ask ourselves the all important questions. First one being, what are you drinking tonight? I'm not messing around. Mm -hmm. I'm keeping it simple. Mm -hmm. I got the Dr. P from the gas station from the come and go. Nice. With the. With the, the 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 chewy ice, crunchy going on ice, too. yeah, crunchy ice, whatever mm-hmm. you call it, nugget ice, crunchy yeah, ice, yeah, all that, all that. It's not chewy though. It's the good stuff. Because I, whenever I think of chewy, I think of like, like a sour candy, <laughs> <laughs> or like a chewy bar. Yeah, not sponsored. <laughs> not yet. All right, chewy. <laughs> Somebody, one of these, one of these corporations <laughs> has got to jump on board one of these times. They're gonna miss. They're gonna miss the train. Exactly. They're not exactly. careful. Be an early adopter. Yeah. Uh, But uh, what are you drinking? I am drinking a vanilla Coke, also from the gas station. From the come and go. From the come and go. And uh, it's got some Jim Beam mixed into it. It's been a minute since I've had a basic Coke and whiskey. Yeah. And uh, it just feels right. It's that time of year for me where it's like a good good whiskey drink. Yeah. Sounds about right. Well, shout out to the uh, lovely gas station attendant at the Come and Go who gave us our drinks for free mm. this time. That's I was like, nice. thanks. That was really kind of you. I'm not going to oust this person um, completely, but I will say if you're listening, yeah, it's much appreciated. You could say that this person is the first unofficial sponsor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't get to check out the name on the name tag, so I can't thank this person formally, but thanks. Yeah. Thanks. Everything tastes employee. better when it's free. It's true. That's true. You can't get past it. Yep. Well, do you have a feel good fact for us today? I sure do. Okay. So in Switzerland, it's illegal to own a singular Guinea pig. Hmm. 
Because they're such social creatures and they thrive in pairs or groups, you have to own at least two if you ever decide to add guinea pigs to your family if you live in Switzerland. So, which is like really sweet. Yeah. Like we are an inseparable pair group of guinea pigs. You get one of us, you get all of us. Exactly. I love that. (laughs) I love that they've outlawed. Individual giving. An individual. Yeah. Yeah. I think that there's something very sweet about caring about these little creatures so much to like make legislation. Do you know the nuance of that? Like if you have to and one of them dies. I don't know the nuance of that. I'm assuming so though. Yeah. I mean, I'm assuming Hmm. so. You might have like a window. Swiss listeners, we actually do have a couple Hmm. or at least one Swiss listener. (laughs) (laughs) Let us know if you are checking out this episode. And if you know about the guinea pig laws, tell yeah. me, tell yeah. me about we it. We need to know more. Yes. There's a, there's a gap between us and the appropriate knowledge of guinea pig laws. Yeah. Globally, but especially mm-hmm. in Switzerland. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I love that. That's a lot. Of, that, that is very, very sweet. And that, that does make me feel pretty good. Yeah. That's a good, I feel warm. Feel good fact. Yeah. And now here we are, ready for you to bring us down. I don't know if this will bring us down. Oh, okay. Okay. I think that this is kind of like a weird upper. Okay. So it's going to be a weird one, but a fun one. Well, then why don't you go ahead and tell us what you uh, what you got cooking over there? Yeah. So I figured that since last week and the week before, we had some pretty rough episodes, and we have a couple of rough ones coming up, mm-hmm. I thought it would be fun to do something a little bit lighthearted as an extra episode. So today we're talking about some of the creepier figures in Christmas lore around the world. In fairness, though, most, if not all of the characters that I'll be talking about come from old school Yule tradition, and some of them will eventually blend with formal Christmas tradition in different parts of history. Sure. As a disclaimer, staple fixtures in global folklore surrounding Christmas and Yule and winter festivities have it all. They've got goat demons. They've got creepy gnomes. They've got Christmas witches and monsters that gobble up unruly children. Nice. The world hasn't always treated winter holiday festivities with the same cozy warmth that we're used to in the United States today. So let's get into some of the scariest creeps of the Christmas holiday. Okay. Grab yourself some cocoa, Mm -hmm. wrap up in your coziest blanket and strap in because this one's a doozy. All right. All right, so I'm going to tackle this story sort of how I went about discussing some of the mermaid lore when we did that episode. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to kind of hop from place to place with no real rhyme or reason. I'll just make stops to chat about some of the weirdest and creepiest figures in a country or region's holiday folklore. Just so you know. Yeah. Uh, This episode is going to be far from exhaustive because this is a topic that I want to be able to come back to during the Christmas season and holiday season every year. And so while there are so many interesting traditions and the global history of the winter holiday celebrations stretch far and wide and weird, I'm going to stick with talking mostly about creatures from various cultures. Okay. All right. So for our first creature, we're going to start off strong by visiting the frigid Iceland hinterlands, where a terrifying, powerful giantess by the name of Grilla has been said to live since at least the 13th century. Hmm. The legend of the giant witch in the Icelandic mountains began first in oral tradition, most likely, and then was documented in historic sagas and poems. 
One that I saw said, quote, down comes Grilla from the outer fields with 40 tails, a bag on her back, a sword in her hand, coming to carve out the stomachs of the children who cry for meat during Lent. <laughs> End quote. <laughs> that pretty much sums up Grilla's M.O., though. She was not initially associated with Christmas, but she was sort of like a giant metaphor for the mm. winter in just about every way. Sure. The long, cold, harsh nights blustering with thick, swirling snowfall. Her name roughly translates to Growler, and she has had quite the lengthy and dysfunctional romantic life. <laughs> the legend states that Grilla ate her first two husbands when she got bored of them, and that her current husband is more troll-like, so sort of closer <laughs> in appearance and function to sure, Grilla. So maybe sure. there's like more chemistry yeah. between them. Maybe they have more a in little, common. A little bit more understanding of the day-to-day -day life. Mm -hmm. That or maybe trolls don't taste as good as whatever the other husbands were. Oh, You just, you just never be. know with Grilla. Could She's be. kind of a wild card. So there's plenty of traditions and stories in Iceland surrounding the winter season, but Grilla pretty much takes the cake. Not only is she the personification of winter, like I said, but some legends even say that she herself controls the weather and that it bows to her every whim. She's been described over the years in many different ways. She's commonly described as being massively tall and powerful, with cloven feet and either a horned tail or dozens of horned tails. Oh. So like a multitude, which is yeah. very scary. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> some versions of the story describe her as having six heads and glowing eyes. She's Ooh. said to conceal her appearance and size whenever she ventures out of her mountainside home by hunching down and covering herself with a cloak. She'll then walk around small towns and cities, pretending to be a lowly, quiet beggar, carrying a huge bag on her back. The purpose of the bag, you may be wondering? Well, she uses the bag to hold the naughty children that she has <laughs> captured. She'll then bring the children Whoa. home to her little mountain cave house in some unknown nook or cranny of the mountain and make them into a stew. Wow. A little kid soup for you. A little kid soup. Wow. It said that there was never a shortage of her kid stew. She never ran out. <laughs> One of the scarier elements is that it's always explained that nobody knows exactly where she lives in the mountains. So there's this constant lingering threat of her whereabouts always being unknown. Yeah. Like, where is Grilla? <laughs> she could be over there. So pause because yeah. when i was a kid we kind of had our own version of grilla unknowingly <laughs> wow where we'd <laughs> this is, i don't know if i've ever told you this story but whenever my parents would take us anywhere my dad whenever he would hint or uh, catch a a whiff of some bad kid behavior coming mm -hmm. he would be like uh-oh guys don't look now don't look behind you but joe's here and joe was <laughs> A very mysterious figure that would take us away. Oh, my god! If we continued with our antics. <laughs> and so I lived in constant fear of, is, is Joe watching me? Yeah. Uh, and Don't look. <laughs> Don't look now, but Joe's here. You guys better shape up, Joe. Yeah. It's, and then my dad <laughs> my dad would, like, put his hand up and look over our shoulders and be like, Joe, it's okay. They're going to behave. <laughs> so we kind of had our own version. <laughs> oh, my god. It was Joe, the mysterious Joe. <laughs> He also had a biker friend named Joe, and so I always pictured the biker friend. Yeah. yeah. So, but oh yeah, that's my own sort of. That poor Joe also became your mental stand-in for that, and so then, there's probably something going on. It's probably why I always yeah. have just a little bit of anxiety at yes, any given point yes. in time. Shout out to Joe. Yeah. 
And Randy. Thanks a lot, Randy. (laughs) So eventually, Grilla began becoming associated with Christmas, along with a handful of other staple Icelandic folklore figures. The Yule Cat and the Yule Lads, Hmm. which are her 13 wild troll-like sons. Oh, okay. Which, sidebar, some versions of her story say that she has upwards of 72 children. 72 children. Which is like a handful. That's a, yes, that's a grip. It's a grip of kids. <laughs> but it's the Yule lads that have their own special place in the story. Huh, okay. Out of all of her children. So let's talk about the Yule cat. The Yule cat is said to have roots that trace pretty far back, I suppose, in Icelandic folklore. But from what I could find, the first written accounts of the Yule cat date only back to the 19th century. The Yule Cat is described as a massive man-eating cat that swallows up anyone who isn't wearing new clothes. (laughs) (laughs) Which is like, okay. The origins of this are simpler than they might seem. Because on the surface, it kind of sounds like a random sin to commit and then be sentenced to death for. (laughs) But back in the day, there was a pressure being put on workers to finish up autumn wool production. And those who met their quota were given new clothing from socks to full, fresh new outfits. Uh And those who didn't complete their quota wouldn't get the reward. So to me, it kind of sounds like Yule Cat is the boogeyman of old school Icelandic wool production. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Wow. Yeah. So that's pretty much the Yule Cat. Some some of the pictures that I saw, this thing is like as big as a bear. It's huge. And it's just stalking the city. Looking around for people who didn't meet their wool quota so they could eat them up. So the Yule Cat oh, is uh, pretty metal. Yeah. Yeah. Also has a thing against poor people, apparently. Yeah. It's so. very classist. I don't yeah. really appreciate the Yule Cat. <laughs> so the Yule Lads are an interesting group. They're described as being either very large trolls or as small trolls. But either way, they're very mischievous. Hmm. Their names correspond to each individual's specific mischief. So let's talk about these guys one by one, because if I tried to just sum them up, you probably wouldn't, it wouldn't be the same like one, two punch. Sure. So first we've got sheep coat Claude. Ah, yes. This guy will break into farmer's stables and try to nurse from the sheep. Okay. Just like a little nursey time. an interesting pastime. Yep. Next we've got Goligok, who is also interested in the livestock. He tends to find buckets of cow's milk, which he then attempts to steal foam from. Hmm. Very specific mischief. That is very specific <laughs> and also similar. Similar yeah. mischief. They're, similar they're mischief. They're in the same family of Those two probably roll activities. up together and like they do like a 7-10 split and yeah. they run in opposite directions. <laughs> one goes for the sheep, one goes yeah. for the cow's milk. Yeah. yeah, so next we've got Stubby. He's a short little guy and his primary goal is to steal food from frying pans. A lot of the mischief coming from the Yule Lads is food related. Okay. We've got Spoon Licker. <laughs> Can you guess what he does? Does he lick spoons? He does. Amazing. <laughs> we also have Pot Scraper or Pot wait, Licker. Wait, wait, wait. He just licks spoons? This, he just licks spoons. <laughs> it's unclear whether he licks spoons that like, you know, you're mixing the brownies. There's like a, there's like a purpose. Or if he just finds the he spoons, just... like. Kids better put the dishes away. Otherwise, yeah. spoon liquor is going to come and lick all the spoons. And then you have to wash <laughs> him again. Oh I don't gosh. know. That's my assumption. Amazing. Or he's like cleaning off the treats from oh, the spoons. Spoon liquor. Yep. Honestly, that's me, though, at the end of every time that anybody can dessert. <laughs> just so. start calling you that. Yeah. Hey, spoon liquor. I do call you noodle boy because it's I don't true. trust myself to, to accurately judge if a noodle <laughs> is done. <laughs> right. But I have 
I have a gift. Yeah. <laughs> it's really <laughs> gone underutilized at this yes. point. All right. So next we've got pot scraper or pot liquor. He okay. goes by both names. Okay. He finds the unwashed pots in a home and licks them clean, which like. Oh, that's. I wouldn't be too mad. That's a positive. That's a net positive this one, with this one's pot doing liquor. A favor. <laughs> like, thanks, everybody. man. Appreciate it. Um, we also have bowl liquor who would take bowls from under people's beds and lick them clean. I learned that in Iceland, at least a while ago, it was pretty common to store bowls of food under the bed for whatever reason. So bowl liquor was not as helpful as pot liquor because they were saving that food for later. Whereas the pots are just like the little scraps. Got it. Yeah. So that one, thanks for nothing, bowl liquor. (laughs) Also, these are like amazing insults. (laughs) Yes. Like I, we're just revealing a lot tonight. (laughs) We're revealing a lot tonight. I like to just call you random pet names. Uh-huh. I mean, we've got Baby Spice. We've got Sporty. Uh-huh. We've got Muffin. Yes. Now we've also got Spoon Liquor <laughs> and Pot Liquor. Get over here, Pot Liquor. Yeah. I'm These are just giving me new nicknames. Sporty Spice. I called you Scooter the other day. <laughs> 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 okay, so now we have Door Slammer, who walks around the house at night and just slams doors. All through the night, keeping the family awake. Oh, this is a little bit more poltergeisty now. Yeah, a little creepy. Yeah. Next, we have Skier Gobbler. I'm shooting for the moon with that pronunciation. Mm. So his main priority is stealing and eating all of the skier, which is an Icelandic yogurt. Oh, okay. Apparently, it's really good. Huh. And it's low fat from what I read. It's, I think it's like a <laughs> homemade yogurt with like honey or something that sweetens it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which is dastardly. Like, how could you gobble up? All of the skier. I also saw that skier liquor got blamed at one point for like a whole town running low on it. (laughs) I don't know if that's a true story, but Mm. I saw that in my reading. So now we've got Meat Hook, who steals all of the meat that's been left out. He has a special interest in swiping smoked lamb. That's his favorite. Your smoked lamb is not safe. It's good stuff, honestly. We also have Door Sniffer, who is different from Door Slammer in that he doesn't do much of anything with doors. Instead, he has a super big nose that he uses to sniff out baked goods, which he then swipes and gobbles up in a flash. (laughs) Similar to door sniffer is sausage swiper who swipes up any sausage that gets left out. So like hide your sausage. Yeah. 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 Just hide your sausage. Hide your sausage. (laughs) Let's put that on a shirt. There's a life lesson there too, but. (laughs) (laughs) We should put that on a shirt. (laughs) Hide your sausage. And finally, we have Candle Beggar, who is said to swoop in and steal your candles, which at the height of the Yule Lad's fame, candles were not only hard to come by, but they were for sure a coveted household item. Much like today where it's like, I love my candles. Yes, You You may not touch my candles. So if Candle Beggar came in and like grabbed up all of these candles that I've been saving, Mm. I don't even know what I would do. I would be at a loss. You'd be very sad. And there would be... One candle beggar, 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 one mm-hmm. candle beggar who'd be very wealthy in this house. Cause yeah, a lot of candles hanging around here. I know we do. Um, those are just as a side note, the English translations of the names. Sure. They oh, have okay. really okay. amazing names that if I tried to pronounce them, I would offend all of Iceland sure. and I do not want to do that. The Icelandic names are probably more. You probably already offended them yeah. by saying gorilla. So yeah, who knows? <laughs> so in all, there are said to be at least 13 Yule lads and up to 40, depending on the story. But those 13 are like the main crew. Mm. Their goal in older versions of the tale was to come down from the mountains with the Yule cat in search of naughty kids. 
They'd kidnap any child they viewed as misbehaving and bring them to their mother in the mountains. And we all know what Gorilla is up to with the kids. Oh, okay. Yes, they're kind of like a team. Got it. These little weirdos popped up sometime in the 17th century. And while they were initially described as actually being kind of scary, over the years, they've been santified in scare Ah, quotes. Yes. Which we'll see that theme popping up with most of the characters in today's story. As more traditions surrounding Father Christmas, St. Nicholas, and Santa Claus became more popular and widespread, the Yule lads went from being creepy little mischievous thieves and began leaving gifts instead. Oh. Yes. Okay. They're more commonly described today as being big, lovable oafs that leave gifts for kids when the kids leave shoes out. Uh Uh-huh. Starting on either December 12th leading up to Christmas or during the 12 days of Christmas, which is the time from the 25th of December to January 6th, hmm. which is a holiday known as Epiphany. I'm pretty sure that it's the 12 days leading up to Christmas or the 13 sure. days leading up to Christmas. Excuse sure. me. So, but I saw it both ways. So I just figured yeah. I'd share both yeah. ways. So. All of the other characters, for the most part, will show up during the 12 days of Christmas, the period from the 25th to the Epiphany holiday. So anyways, uh, it's fun because each lad has a day that they can come into town and leave a signature gift for kids. But for a while, if a kid was naughty, they wouldn't receive a gift in their shoe. Instead, they'd receive rotten potatoes. (laughs) Which, like, I would not want to clean that up. Yeah, that's nasty. When a potato goes bad, the whole house is alerted immediately. Yes. It smells so bad. Yes. I've pulled out a couple of on-the-edge potatoes and been like, ooh, this is gross. I don't like this in the house anymore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Gorilla began becoming associated with Christmas as a sort of, like, villain of the holiday rather than a fixture of the winter season as a whole for a period of time. Oh, okay. Yeah. Overall, she's definitely a lady you want to avoid misbehaving around so she doesn't swipe you up and turn you into a stew. Mm. And since you never know where she is at any given time, kids tend to be scared into behaving. Interestingly, there's recently been a push to return back to old folklore, sharing Hmm. stories of the Yule lads and Grilla and others like them in more traditional ways in hopes of kind of like recapturing the creepy old Hmm. magic of Yule. Yeah. I did learn that many children in Iceland are deeply scared of Grilla even to this day, Hmm. which I found to be very fascinating. Yeah. These characters are only a small handful of what the world of Icelandic folklore has to offer. So we'll definitely have to revisit this place in a future episode where we're talking about lore. Oh, yeah. It sounds like they have a whole lot going on. That's just kind of like probably layers deep. Oh, yeah. And and probably way older than even what you've brought up so far. For sure. Yeah. For sure. So there are tons of stories all across the world and across many long-standing traditions involving Christmas witches. So let's talk about the most famous one of these. Okay. A lot of people would categorize Grilla as a witch as a sidebar, while others say that she's a giantess or an ogress, but we're not counting her as a witch for the sake of mm. today's story. Oh, okay. So we're going to talk about one of the biggest heavy hitters, uh, and that would be Frau Perkta. Oh, Yes. She has a few different names depending on the region, but she exists in Alpine folklore and has for quite some time. She's sort of like a scarier spinoff of an older figure known as Frigga. Hmm. She's always depicted as being the classic idea of a witch, like the ugly old hag dressed Hmm. in rags, you know, carrying a cane. And she also hides a huge knife under her skirt. Oh, that is kind of creepy. Okay. Some depictions also show Perkta with a beak-like nose that she made out of iron, which is Mm. weirdly terrifying. 
So her MO was to punish those who didn't finish their weaving by epiphany each year. Kind of similar to the Yule Cat. Yes. But older and I think scarier than the Yule Cat. Yeah. She would also swoop into homes and would be super judgy if things weren't clean and orderly. <laughs> and she'd get doubly angry if you forgot to leave her a bowl of porridge as a gift. What? Most of the time, if you didn't get your weaving done, it was said that Perkta would come in and trample out your incomplete work, making you need to start all over and spin faster. Oh, my gosh. Why does this seem like a little bit of a of a nega Santa Claus? Like there's a lot of I saw it referred to as anti Santas yeah. or anti Claus, which yeah. I thought was clever. <laughs> That's clever. I like that. Better Very than clever. what I said. <laughs> <laughs> so let's just say that. Dang it. You got behind on your weaving. You didn't have time to tidy up, let alone whip up a steaming bowl of porridge to leave for Frau Perkta. Well, you'd be in for it in a big way. Hmm. Those who fail to meet these requirements will be met in the middle of the night with Perkta busting her way into your room and disemboweling you. Replacing your innards with straw and pebbles before she takes off to the next house. If you did manage to get your work done, clean your house, and leave a bowl of porridge out for her, she'll leave you a silver coin in your shoe as a reward. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, you know, those two things. I would be disemboweled 10 years ago (laughs) if it was me. (laughs) I'm like looking around at the 14 piles of laundry that I have yet to fold. (laughs) (laughs) So in some regions, Perkta is also kind of like a leader of this legendary thing called the Wild Hunt, Hmm. which is at a time that she and her servants, the very terrifying legion of goat demons known as Perkton, and a whole host of the souls of unbaptized babies will make their way through the night looking to ruin some people's days. Oh, wow. On a cold winter's night on the three Thursdays preceding Christmas or leading up to Epiphany, depending on the specific region, if you hear the sounds of thunder or harsh winds blasting through the night, what you're actually hearing is Perkta leading the wild hunt. Hmm. Sometimes she's depicted as a good figure, where she's a very beautiful angelic figure that has associations with the star in Bethlehem as it's shown down, which is nice, but evil Perkta, I feel like, is a lot more memorable. Mm, Sure. (laughs) Evil, scary, (laughs) with an iron beak and will disembowel you. Yeah, Interesting that there's a very uh, traditionally Christmas version, Mm -hmm. it sounds like. That's like, like you said earlier, santified a little bit. Mm -hmm. And... Then there's the more traditionally non-Christmassy, but more Yuletide-y. Yeah. That's just kind of, yeah, a little more spooky. So, yeah, yeah, it's interesting that there's already, it sounds like from whatever time that this started popping up like this, it very quickly became kind of intermingled. Yeah, it is interesting to see, especially in like various European folklore, like all of the different regions, how... Christmas tradition and Yule tradition did sort of mingle and Mm. turn into its own new thing. But like, I feel like everybody can kind of claim part of it as theirs, which is kind of fun too. Yeah. There's like a weird unity in Mm. it, which I think is fun. But uh, now we're going to move over to Sweden. Okay. So the particular figure I'm going to talk about here has many names across a couple of different cultures, usually with Scandinavian roots, but I'm going to zoom in on the Swedish Tomten. So, you know, those cute little Christmas gnomes that you see everywhere during the holidays? Yes. Like you can't walk into a store during the entirety of the holiday season and not see at least one decorative gnome with like the little hat, red hat covering his eyes and his little rosy nose and his long beard poking out. (laughs) Uh So those guys are the Tomty or the Tomten. Oh. 
These guys fall in the category of being what's called household sprites. As the story goes, you know the jolly little man that helps around the farm or the property with the chores that you never really had an actual conversation with, but you always see him Hmm. faithfully doing his chores with a little twinkle in his eye. (laughs) That may just be a Tomton or household sprite, sometimes also referred to as a guardian spirit. The name comes from the word tomped, which refers to the packed dirt underneath buildings or homesteads that then extends out onto the whole property. So the Tomten or Tomteguba, sorry, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) literally translates to old man about the grounds. Wow. Which is interesting. Yeah. So these guys are described as tiny little loners who are excellent at keeping house, but will turn violent if you should cross them in any way. Their loyalty is earned. (laughs) Yes. Their loyalty is earned through fair treatment and the appropriate showing of gratitude for their work. You can express your gratitude to a Tomta by leaving them a bowl of porridge, which many of the more famous stories involving the Tomta focus on the porridge, as we'll see here in a minute. They have been known to hang out with feral cats, and it's noted that the Tomten and the cat share both size and temperament. Hmm. Some people have wrongly compared them to elves, like the elves in Santa's workshop, uh, or yeah. will compare them to the jolly old Saint Nick himself, hmm. but that's definitely not how the Tomten do. They prefer to carve out a little hole in some quiet corner of a farmhouse or farmstead where they'll live and work and do their thing in private. They're also not interested in making public appearances at the mall like Santa. Mm. So if you want to see a Tomten, you have to pretty much like trick them into it. Yeah. Or you have to do something to make them angry, which will result in them leaving your house uh, or your livestock being messed with or killed or sometimes even your own death. Just about every time. So you either luck into seeing them, trick them, or make them mad. Otherwise, you don't see them. It makes me think. Kind of like Joe. Yeah, kind of like Joe. It's like a weird cross between like a a Keebler elf and uh, what are those little, what are those little creatures that they're cute and then if they get wet, they turn into little. Gremlins. Gremlins, (laughs) yes. It's like a cross between a Keebler elf and a gremlin. It's Mm kind of what it makes you think of. Well, these guys are also a little bit fun. Uh, According to the legends, they will often pick a favorite animal on the farm that they're working on. Hmm. You can tell which animal the Tomten has taken a liking to because that particular animal will be exceptionally healthy and well-groomed in appearance. Hmm. People across many generations have credited their Tomten for brushing and braiding the manes of their horses. It's said that if your horse suddenly has braids in its hair that you didn't do, that it was the work of a very satisfied Tomten and you should never under any circumstances, undo the braid. Hmm. That would be considered very insulting. Some of the more famous stories about the Tomta involve their beloved porridge. So much (laughs) like we in America would leave out a plate of cookies and a tall glass of milk for Santa, in Sweden and other areas where the Tomten live and play, traditionally, you'd leave out a bowl of porridge with pats of butter and sometimes with a drizzle of honey for the Tomten. Yeah. But if you fail to do this, you're in for it. Oh, no. In one story, a little girl was tasked with putting out the Christmas porridge for the Tomten and instead got hungry and ate it herself. Big mistake. Mm. The Tomten then made her dance herself to death while jeeringly singing at her as it watched her slowly die. <laughs> Which, once again, a lot of these critters are pretty metal. <laughs> In other versions, there's this one story. One man who worked as a blacksmith wasn't happy with his Tompton. He was like, mm-hmm. your work is subpar. Mm. So he made the porridge just right and then ate it himself and then took a duke in the bowl. 
Oh, jeez. The Tomten was very angry, but he waited to exact his revenge. After three long days of waiting, the Tomten saw his opportunity. The blacksmith had fired up his oven, and it was then that the Tomten shoved him headfirst into the flames, slowly pushing more and more of his body into the oven until all that remained of the blacksmith was his ashes in the oven and his severed feet still tucked into their wooden clogs. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Yeah. So, like, they go from zero to 100 yes, very fast. sounds like it. Yes. Another story features a Tomten who believes he's been slighted when he sees his porridge, but there was not a pat of butter on top. In his fury, he stopped mid-meal, went outside, and killed the most expensive cow. He then went to finish his porridge, and that's when he discovered, to his great horror, that the butter was at the bottom of the bowl. Oh, that... Jumped the gun too quickly. He did. He did. He was leveled with regret and grief over his mistake. So he went to the murdered cow, dragged it to a nearby farm, and traded the dead cow out for that farm's best cow in hope of <laughs> making things right. Like, maybe they won't notice that <laughs> oh this one's gosh. dead. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So these guys are no joke if you cross them. And they are very, like, like I said, instantaneous. Yes. They're fine. You insult them. You're dead. Yes. Or your cow is dead. <laughs> So it's tradition for the Tomte to join forces with a Yule goat and pass out gifts to the kids. Mm. So this is another really good example of old folk traditions blending with some Christmas practices, such as the ones surrounding St. Nick. Yeah. So in one sense, Mm. there are some similarities. Both Santa and the Tomte reward good behavior in some way. But unlike Santa, the Tomte are notoriously short-tempered likely exacting revenge before having all of the relevant information. <laughs> like Santa's making a list and checking it twice. And these guys are like, you forgot my butter. Now yes. your best cow must die. <laughs> so also, can we just appreciate the fact that um, there must be something about porridge that I've never experienced in my life. I know they, they seem to be all about it. I know all of the creatures are <laughs> like the porridge really is the hinge point. <laughs> <laughs> this is what it's all about, really. Yes. This is the reason for the season. <laughs> Porridge <laughs> is the reason for the season. In some traditions, Tomten and other household sprites are said to be the manifestation of deceased family members. Some places would implement Halloween traditions around Yule time, hmm. such as not sleeping in their beds on Christmas Eve so that the spirits of their deceased loved ones could sleep in them for a night instead. And there were other things kind of like that. But the yeah. Tomten, though they are pretty cute, surely earned their place on this list of Christmas slash Yule creeps. Huh. So, yeah, those those little guys that you see, hopefully next time you see one at the mall, at yeah. the Target, yeah. at the flower give shop. Them, give them the respect. That shout out owed. to Katie for sending me a really amazing article that I'm going to link Ooh, about fun. not just the Tomten, but also like other Swedish traditions, huh. I feel like me and the Swedes would like rock hard together. <laughs> like I'm like a little bit of a curmudgeon, yeah. like a little bit. Yeah. I don't want to be, but I just yeah. am. You are. And I'm like, I got, yeah, I'm working <laughs> on it. I'm, I'm trying to be a little bit more holly jolly, but uh, I don't know. So you just do your best. Me and I, I feel like we should visit Sweden during the Christmas time. Yeah. During Yule time. But on the topic of weird little goblins and creatures who dedicate their existences, particularly during the Christmas season, to mischief and debauchery. These next guys are the perfect blend of the last two characters we talked about. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands. And are high in fiber to support gut health. 
Shop now at Hero.co. These ones are popular in Greece and other cities and countries in the region, and they're called the Kilkantzaros. Hmm. And I, once again, am shooting for the moon. <laughs> These guys are a blend of a whole mess of the scariest creatures in all of global folklore. In some versions, they live underground all year, minus the 12 days of Christmas. Hmm. So for all but those 12 days each year, these little monsters are underground, chopping away at the tree of life. Like, they want to destroy the world. Wow. The great news is that their time above ground gives the tree of life enough time to heal itself and, like, regenerate. (laughs) So that's good. They're just on on the hamster wheel. Yep. Not ever able to totally complete the task. You just hit the nail on the Uh head exactly, and you don't even have all the info. I'm proud of you. Oh, wow. Okay. So other versions of the legend state that for all but the 12 days of Christmas, the little goblins are actually walking around in human form. Oh. Many believe that they're normally mortal children because they have a real taste for sweets, and it's believed that any children born on Christmas Day are usually the targets for becoming a killing cansaro. I'm so sorry. Since Jesus doesn't like sharing his birthday with anyone. <laughs> so like to avoid your Christmas baby, oh there luckily there is a way to prevent it. Oh, that's to good. avoid your Christmas baby living a double life as a goblin, it was customary for Greek mothers to tie garlic to their newborns to ward off the creatures. Mm, yes. But either way, these little creeps have made quite the name for themselves over the course of centuries. <laughs> despite how hard it is for me and my Midwestern sensibilities to pronounce it correctly. (laughs) They have a few physical descriptions that vary depending on the area that you're in, but generally speaking, they're short little goblins with glowing red eyes. They're covered in thick black hair and are often depicted with either club feet or one foot that's larger than the other one. And then they tend to have a tongue that's just a little bit too long, Hmm. which something about that is like, gives me the unsettling. Yeah. Yes. That little chill up my spine. That's like, well, So their tongue is also forked in some version of the Mm -hmm, legend. mm -hmm. So these guys tend to show up during the 12 days of Christmas. And when they show up, you can expect complete havoc. An author from Athens by the name of John Tompkinson, who wrote the book Haunted Greece, Nymphs, Vampires, and Other Exotica, called these guys and their wild antics, quote, drunken yobs coming out of a pub, end quote, (laughs) (laughs) which I love. Yobs. That's a beautiful word. Yes. Despite being small, these guys do pack a punch. Under the dark cover of night during the 12 days of Christmas, they travel in packs or hordes and descend upon village after village, stealing people's food, trashing their homes, urinating on their flowers, flipping over furniture, and just generally running amok. They can enter your home through the chimney, but more bold members of the group will just walk straight through your door if you're not prepared. Another bit of good news is that these guys are not super bright and they are pretty easy to ward off. There are a few methods, such as hanging a pig jaw immediately inside of your door, as well as keeping fires lit in the hearth of your home because they're deterred mm, by fire. Sure. And there's also like things you can add to the fire to like add a little spook to it. Like you can throw salt in it and it'll crackle really loud ah. or certain herbs and things like that. Yeah. And like the little guys will be like, oh, no way. Yeah. Not even going to try. There's Man, fire in that house. It's interesting because it's still, it, it's still more anti-Santa, anti-elf, kind of like I know. they're the just the opposite and equal kind of deal, which mm-hmm. is interesting. Santa is kind of like the answer to all of these problems. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. kind of feels like. Yeah. Like the implementation of Santa yeah. was like, oh, you've got oh. goblins coming in yeah. your chimney. Look out. Here Look comes out. Santa Claus yep. right down Santa Claus Lane. <laughs> 
He'll leave you some gifts. He's real he nice. Goes. Yeah. You don't need to start a fire because Santa's here to just leave you presents. He'll take care of it. Yeah. So it was a custom for the father in a home to cut a log from a spiky tree, such as a prickly pear tree. And then he would place the log in the fire, hmm. keeping these guys from entering the home. Hmm. Other okay. more fun ways to ward them off include, but are not limited to, putting a colander outside of your door. Since they're not very smart hmm. and they're easily distracted, the colander with its many countable holes would keep them occupied for long stretches of time, <laughs> at least buying your family enough time for the sun to rise and for the little menaces to retreat until the next nightfall. Because they only really do their business at night. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Just distract them all night with yeah. holes in a bowl. Wow. Who yep. knew? Who knew? They will also be determined to attempt to count the threads of a flax strand that you weave together that you can put outside, which can distract them till sunrise also. <laughs> you can also paint a black cross on your front door. You can leave treats and food inside of the chimney as well, because they'll be like, oh, this is what I'm here for. Yeah. I got the treat. What was I doing again? Next house. Yeah. <laughs> more treats. Yeah, more treats. So it was common in Greece to have their own version of the Christmas tree, which was a sprig of basil that remained suspended over a bowl of water. The mother in the home would then take the sprig of basil and use it to sprinkle water throughout the home to keep the Kilkansaros away. Hmm. That was kind of like a tradition. Yeah. A couple times a day, she'd just walk around just like sprinkling basil water around. Hmm. The surefire way to get rid of them, should a herd successfully enter your home, would take place when the village priest came to town. He'd travel around and visit homes on Epiphany Eve, so January 5th, He'd do some fancy pants magic with some basil in his smoke sensor, which is like that little ball on a mm, chain that's got yes. like incense on yeah, it. Yeah. And he'd splash some holy water mixed with frankincense. Hmm. And that would definitely get rid of the creatures until the following year, which would leave you then with plenty of time to get the necessary items to ward them off when they yeah. come back next year. Yeah. Because they're coming back. They are <laughs> resilient. On Epiphany Eve, it was a practice in Cyprus to make pancakes and put them on the roof as a sort of parting gift to the Kilkanzaros, <laughs> letting them know that it was nothing personal that we didn't invite you in. But like here, have some Here's sweets, some be on your way. Yeah. Go on. We'll see you next year. You know, <laughs> other areas had similar practices of offering food and or sweets as a parting gift. The efficacy of the legend has faded a little bit since the invention of electricity, since there's almost always some source of light mm. coming from somewhere, mm -hmm. which light really does ward them off. They can't be out in the sun, mm. the light from the fire, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. If you really think about it, we don't really know dark nights today the way that people across the world did before electricity was invented. Mm -hmm. But either way, the Kilkansaros have remained a staple fixture in holiday lore for many generations in Greece and the surrounding areas. Hmm. Okay, last but certainly not least, I'm going to sort of blend the last several characters together in this episode because they are kind of intertwined and related. Sure. The first one I'm going to talk about is Nectruprecht. I'm sure Ooh. I butchered that. Ooh. This is a German figure related to a very famous version of this same monster that I'll talk about at the end. He's depicted usually as half goat, half demon with horns, and it stands on two hind cloven feet. Ooh. He's usually wearing priestly dark robes with a pointed hood that his horns kind of like jut out of. Ooh. He's always got his sack and a rod or switch made out of birch branches. This guy is said to show up with Santa and he acts as like Santa's wingman. While Santa is set on rewarding all of the good little girls and boys, Nectruprecht has one goal to punish wrongdoers. 
Oh my Justice. <laughs> the pair will set out on St. Nicholas Day, which is December 6th, and do their thing. While this one faded in popularity when another similar beast rose to fame, an 1862 poem still gets passed around. Roughly translated to English, this is how the poem goes. From out of the forest, I now appear. I tell you, it is a very holy night. All over the tips of the firs, I saw bright flashes of golden light. Hast the sack with you? I spoke, the sack that is here, because apples, nuts, and almond core eat pious children gladly. Hast the rod also with you? I spoke, the rod, it is here, but for the children, only the bad, those it meets them right upon their part. So this wow. means what it sounds like. Necroprex <laughs> shows up with Santa, who passes out treats from his bag. And then Necroprect, who carries his uh, bundle of birch branches, he'll take those and beat bad children. And if you're really unlucky, he'll bind you up and throw you in a river or he'll beat you with a, like his bag. He'll just like wow. grab his bag off his back and beat you with it. But for the bad kids, the contents of the sack that he carries is just a bunch of ashes. So, <laughs> wow, it's like, once again. Very metal. Yes. This is very metal of you, Nectroprect. <laughs> Nectroprect. What? What are you doing? You just, just <laughs> he's no BS around there. Really, all these are, all <laughs> that these are, is parents taking an opportunity Yeah. at, at their core. I, I don't mean to be insulting to any cultures, but at their core, these are very effective tools into yes. scaring your children into behaving how you want them to behave. Yes. And I'm sure they, most of them did not start out that way. They were just part of tradition. Mm -hmm. But then eventually it's like, hey, what I've if? got an idea. <laughs> what if they only scare the kid? What if they only take the kids? Yeah. You know, what if they only beat the kids with the bir birch oh branches? Gosh. You know? Yeah. So. <laughs> there are tons of different regional variations of this same creature, but the last and possibly most globally famous of these being Chert, or more recognizable to many of us as Krampus. Ah, yes. To keep it easy on myself, I'm going to stick with calling this creature Krampus. Mm -hmm. So Krampus is a legendary figure in Alpine folklore that has seen a resurgence across the entire world in the last couple of decades. Hmm. It's believed that the origins of Krampus date back to the early Middle Ages. Wow. And possibly even earlier than that. And that he's one of the sons of hell, which is the god of the underworld in Norse folklore and mythology. Hmm. Krampus is depicted as half goat, half demon, and he is scary. He's sometimes depicted with two cloven feet. And in other versions, he has one cloven foot and one human foot. Hmm. He has the hands and face of a man with heavy iron chains attached to his wrists and draped from his body. The leather belt around his waist has several bells on it, so before you ever catch a glimpse of this terrifying monster, you can hear the faint jingle of bells and rattling of chains as you wait dreadfully for him to come and do what he does. Wow. He carries an empty sack made out of leather on his back that he has a very scary use for, which I'll get into in a second. Mm. He's got a long tongue that's always depicted as red, and sometimes it's forked. Hmm. He's got massive curling horns and a real disdain for ill-behaved children. <laughs> as the more modern story goes, Krampus serves as Santa's wingman once again. Mm -hmm. Listen, I mean, well, Santa's got stuff to do. <laughs> he just doesn't have time to rummage through his bags in order to dig up a lump of coal for the bad kids. Right, so right. he deals in the business of rewarding the do-gooders and hands off the punishment to Krampus. Got it. 
there's a real dualism here, like a real synergy, yeah. if you will. It's like, I imagine them doing the low bones knuckle bump uh-huh. before they go off and <laughs> do their thing. So Krampus will go around on the eve of St. Nicholas Day, a day now referred to as Krampusnacht, mm. which is Krampus night, right, Krampus right. night. And he'll stop at the houses of the bad kids and kidnap them, stuffing them into his giant sack on his back. Oh, wow. The fate of the children looks different depending on where you go, but the punishments include being beaten with birch branches, being tied up (laughs) with the chains and thrown into a river to drown, or being dragged to hell to be eternally punished. So... People who have kept this legend alive for millennia really were not messing around. They were not. This was a legend told to children to put the fear of Krampus deep into their hearts that would ideally result in good behavior. Interestingly, the character itself was banned throughout several moments in history. Hmm. And at one point, you could face the death penalty if you were caught out and about in Krampus garb. Wow. Nazis also banned Krampus for a time as well, Hmm. which I thought was really interesting. I'd never heard that. So on St. Nicholas Eve, traditionally, children would leave shoes out for St. Nicholas to leave gifts in for all the well-behaved children, and then either Neck Ruprecht or Krampus would come and handle the bad kids. For a long time, it's been a tradition in Alpine villages for young men to dress up in Krampus costumes on December 5th to help ward off the winter spirits, a tradition known as the Krampusloff or the Krampus Run. (laughs) I'm kind of interchanging how I pronounce it. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Uh, this is a tradition that actually still happens today. Every year on Krampusnacht, December 5th, which is the day this episode is airing. And I am like so happy <laughs> that it worked out this way. Perfect. So these are now like these huge festivals where these guys get dressed up like, like Krampuses and just mm. straight up are full-blown menaces for like yeah. a whole night. <laughs> In some of the smaller villages, you're more likely to see St. Nicholas with a small handful of Krampuses who run around and incite terror. In bigger cities, there are hundreds of Krampuses everywhere you look. In 2008, there were over 1,000 Krampuses that showed up at an Austria Krampus run. Oh my goodness. Over 1,000. These events range from being either super fun all the way into like actually kind of scary. Yeah, yeah. A bunch of grown men in goat demon costumes that are very (laughs) elaborate, very scary. Yeah, yeah. Uh, They'll run around and they'll chase people. They'll whip you in the back of your legs if they catch you. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. And some of these guys are really just like honestly living their best unbounded lives for a whole night. They wait for this night every it's year. It's like this full their, chaos. Yeah, yeah. It's full chaos. So in some areas, it does look a little bit different, like I said, but it also is really fun. There's like a there's like a tourist Mm-hmm. kind of draw to mm-hmm. it as well. And that's kind of grown over the years. But from everything that I read about these events, despite the fact that they are kind of a little scary and super chaotic, sure. it's all in good fun. Yeah. And <laughs> there does seem to be an air of like, people kind of know what they're getting into when they venture out, not in a Krampus costume. They mm-hmm. know they're going to get chased. They know they're going to get freaked out. They might get whipped. Wow. Like, They might get to have that like fun fear rush, you know, kind of like us getting chased by a chainsaw wielding clown at a haunted house during Halloween. So like, you know what you're signing up for, you know. So this is, like I said, far from an exhaustive list of traditions and key figures in winter and Christmas folklore from around the world. But those are a few of the heaviest hitters, in my opinion. Hmm. If you guys liked this one and want us to do it again next year, let us know. 
And if you have a character you want to make sure that we cover next time, let us know that as well. Mm -hmm. For this episode, I used tons of articles and blogs, and I also used the book The Old Magic of Christmas by Linda Radish, a little bit from Haunted Greece by John Tompkinson, and a small excerpt from the Encyclopedia of Fairies in World Folklore and Mythology by Teresa Bain, which I'll definitely be referencing in more folklore episodes down the road because that Mm. is a really cool book. But that is what I have for you today. Wow. I, I I think it's so interesting that there's so many um, Yuletide traditions in uh, what seems to be kind of, uh, and, and forgive me, my geography is a little rusty in, in Europe, but uh, not quite old world Europe, but like just a little bit west of that, right? Or northern, uh, um, north of that even. Yeah, I mean, it, it's everywhere. I mean, it's everywhere in Europe. Oh, wow. But it seems that there's, there's the, the tradition goes back so far. Mm. And so you do see even before Christianity and before Santa became a part of the deal mm-hmm. in his earliest forms, it's one of those things where like the traditions themselves, the characters and all of that. I mean, those guys have been living and playing there yeah. for like a minute huh. and they might kind of like Grillo, like not always fully associated with a holiday with Yule tradition. Sure. But eventually it became its own thing. I think that's the really cool part about folklore. Yeah. Is that in so many ways it like, it really never dies first of all, which is really cool. Um, And I love to see when you can trace a line back really, 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 really far. Mm. And you can see kind of where it started and what it, morphed into during this time in history when these world events were going on, how these things still were being passed down mm-hmm. even before the written word was like the common way of preserving tradition. Oh, yeah. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like there was still a priority on story. Yeah. There was still a priority on like long, long standing generational tradition. I think there's something really beautiful about that. Even though these creatures are like not beautiful, they're very scary, Right, right. but there's something so cool about, I've said it before on the podcast, the potency of story Hmm. and the fact that we're here in a basement in the Midwest of the United States talking about something that started in the middle ages. Yeah. That's pretty wild. That's really cool. So yeah, the old magic of Christmas book is really cool. If you, Hmm. if you liked any of these characters, this lady did an amazing job, and she also put like activities and recipes and stuff like that oh, that's at the fun. end of each chapter. Yeah. yeah, and she themed it really well, and she summed everything up super well. That's a really great book hmm. to kind of observe more of what the traditions look like, yeah, and all of that. So yeah, that that's was a cool. fun one. It's interesting because when you talk about Santa Claus being a Father Christmas, whoever Saint yeah, Nicholas, whatever whatever the term is that makes most sense for you. Um, there's, so, so my mom for a long time was really into skinny Santa is basically how she would just describe (laughs) him because that's what, uh, the European version of Santa Claus was typically like. He wasn't the, uh, jolly old elf with a bowl full of jello that we view in the States. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess in most places in the world, he's father Christmas, skinny old man. Um, so it's sometimes like loomingly tall and like, yeah, which is interesting to put him with like the Krampus and other mm-hmm. characters like that, because that just seems so like just, they're, they're not in the same class the way that mm-hmm. we view Santa Claus here. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but yeah, I just think that's really interesting. And that's probably another episode even to get into some of the Santa Claus lore. Um, I know there's a lot. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. But man, this has been a really fun episode. And uh, if I can just say, like, you did a great job. Thank you. Uh, I tried was, so there hard was a to lot, sum them up. There was a lot to get into, and uh, this was fun. So I hope for everybody who's listening that, uh, yeah, you you ask for more because I want more of this one, Yay. personally. <laughs> I also am going to ask for forgiveness from any of our listeners from the areas that these creatures come from for my mispronunciations. <laughs> and if I, if I miss an important detail that's like a key thing, please tell me because we mm. will we'll put it on you know, future episodes and be like, Hey, this person yeah. reached out and said that this is actually how it goes. Yeah. I want to be correct. So, but I had so much fun looking into this and it was very hard to narrow down who I was going to talk about. I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, thank you so much for listening to the unusual unsettling and unsavory story today. Really mostly just unusual. This was almost perfectly savory. I like, well, I want more of it. Here's the thing. <laughs> it's not unusual. It's unusual subjectively oh. to us but this has been tradition for literal millennia wow we're getting meta right now we're getting this so meta so usual so usual so savory <laughs> super settling yes that's honestly how i feel yeah, that, this is a great one i love folklore so much one. it is fun it is fun well thanks for listening if you uh haven't already please make sure that you are subscribed on your preferred listening platform and please leave a glowing five-star review um, the more of those that we have, the easier it is for other people to find this podcast. And make sure that you are following us on all the social media platforms as well. Um, we're on Instagram and TikTok at This One Is A Doozy, and also on Facebook, This One's A Doozy Podcast. And with that, we will see you later this week for yes, another we doozy. Will. All right, bye. Thanks. Bye.